Sam just prayed. And prayer is such an important part of our lives. I think most people recognize that prayer is just a critical part of your relationship with God. But I've been learning over the years that there are good ways to pray, and I think there are some better ways to pray. There are some ways to pray that we can actually get better results or see more effectiveness. And we've been um, beginning a series last week and this week and the next few weeks of looking at how can I improve my prayer life? How can I make my prayer life to where it seems more effective? So rather than just go through the motions of constantly praying, really feel like my prayers are making a difference. It actually makes me want to pray more because I see what God's doing. And last week, I, I talked to you about how passionate prayers unleash heaven's power, that there is something that happens when we pray out loud. When we pray out loud, it's a lot like singing. We could have all just sung in our hearts today. That's a biblical command, make melody in your hearts. But we said, we're all going to do that today. But there's something that happens within us when we lift up our voices to God in song. And the same thing in prayer, when you learn to start praying out loud. For those of us who are uncomfortable with prayer, I want to just encourage you. Um, My wife's in Indonesia. She'll be there for eight weeks. Um, She's been gone for two, a little over two weeks right now. Time's flown by for me. It seems like an eternity for her on the other side of the world. But she's learning the language of the Indonesians. And the best way she's learning the language isn't the two hours she's spending every day in the classroom. It's on the streets. It's mingling with people who are using it as an everyday language. That's where she's learning it best. If you want to learn how to pray, don't read a book about prayer. Don't just think about prayer. Get around people who are praying. And get around people who are praying out loud because when people pray silently, you don't know what their prayer is. You don't know what they're saying. You're not learning from them other than a posture. But when you hear people praying out loud, you start to learn the language. You start to learn the approach to prayer. And so last week we experienced maybe for the first time for some of you praying out loud as a congregation. may have been just kind of spooky for some of you. But here's what I want you to know, especially if you're new to church, especially if you're a visitor, When we come into this room, and there's nothing sacred about this room, it's really because we come here with dedicated focus, because we come here to encounter God. I've been in churches. I've been in churches this summer where it felt like a classroom. I've been in churches where it felt like a nice social gathering. We don't want that here. We want this to be a place where you encounter God. You don't need a pep talk. You don't need five principles to to make a better marriage. Really, what you need more than anything else is God in your life. And so we want to help you encounter God. And if you could leave this place saying, you know that that God the pastor's talking about, that God that that he seems to know, I'm starting to learn about him, and I'm starting to think that maybe he wants to know me too. And so when you leave this place, you continue a dialogue with this God, and you start to see him come into your life. That's where you're going to see the power and the miracles when, when you have this relationship and God's hearing your prayers, and then you're praying for your neighbors, you're praying for your kids, you're praying for your parents, and you start seeing God do things because God wants to show himself real to you. And one of the greatest ways you'll see God at work in your life is in response to prayer. Now, last week I shared with you two kind of foundational truths that Jesus gave his disciples before he left earth, and I think they're very critical in approaching prayer. Number one, we can do nothing apart from Jesus. Nothing spiritually significant, nothing eternally lasting apart from him. Jesus himself said that, you can do nothing apart from me. So that means I've I've got to lean into Jesus. But here's what he also says, that with me you can do anything. That if you ask me for anything, anything according to God's will, I hear that and I will take that before the Father so the Son may be glorified in the Father. He wants to do, uh, get this, I think he wants to do more for you than you even want for yourself. And if we could step back and just realize God has all kinds of stuff he wants to do for you and through you, if you would just connect with him in passionate, fervent prayer. 
And so we're trying to grow as a congregation. I'm trying to grow as a pastor, but I'm really encouraging you. We need to grow in prayer. We need to grow in that relationship. If, if I can help connect you to God in prayer, I think the biggest discipleship um, uh, part of your life is in place because you can take that wherever you go. Any time of day, you can talk with God and deal with the issues. Um, so every Thursday morning, I meet with a group of people out in the church foyer from 6 o'clock to about 6.45, 6.50, and you are invited to come, men, women, young, old, come and join us. We pray, and we pray out loud, and we've been doing it for three and a half years. It's been an awesome time of prayer. On August 31st, we're going to fill this room with people who want to cry out to God and be heard by Him, to see God at move in our community, in our families, in our church, in our world. We need Him, don't you agree? We need Him more than anything. I can't stand to stand back and watch our country fall apart and watch marriages fall apart and watch the economy crumble and just say, oh, there's nothing we can do about it. When God says, I can, I can fix that, as Jake was saying, I can do miracles, my people would call upon me. So... I'm going to talk about an area today that's probably going to be uncomfortable for for some of us, but in the end could be very beautiful for all of us if we listen to the Lord. And really, that's my prayer right now, that, that we would open up our hearts. The Spirit of the Lord is present here, and He's speaking. Are you listening? Tell Him you want to hear. Father, we come before you right now in Jesus' name, asking you to speak to us powerfully through your word, through the scriptures, but more importantly, Father, through your Holy Spirit where we are right now. So we leave different than we came in. We leave lighter than when we came in because we've relieved all of the crud in our lives, all of the sin in our lives to you. We ask in Jesus' name, amen. This summer, we recognized that one of the fountains here at church, one of those little drinking fountains, wasn't working too well. I mean, you almost had to kiss it to get water out of it. And knowing, knowing the germs and kissing water fountains, no one wants to go near it. So um, one of our maintenance guys just opened the, the bubbler and began to look at things. And lo and behold, realized there's a filter inside. I, I did not know that. And it had never been changed since we moved into that building over there for 15 years. 15 years. I'm not going to show you it, but I want you to know, if you drink from that fountain today, it's cleaner than any time you've drank from that fountain before. Okay? Just want you to know that. And we're ch- we've checked all of them now, so you're, it's safe. It's safe. You can drink the water here at the church. But here's what happened. When they put the new filter in and pressed the, the lever to get water out, the water shot across the room. <laughs> See what happens when you clean up the, the clog pipes? When you, when you work on the stuff that's been blocking the flow... We have a pipeline to God in prayer, and there is stuff that accumulates and builds over time, unchecked, undetected, not removed. And so when you come to God saying, God, I'm I'm praying about this, God says, I can't even hear you because the passage has been blocked. Or I want to give you something, but I can't get through because of all this crud within your prayer pipeline. You've got to deal with this stuff first. And so one of the reasons our prayers aren't significant is because of that very thing. Sin has come into our lives, and God will not take our prayers seriously if we do not take sin seriously. Jesus told a parable found in Luke 18. To some who were confident of their own righteousness and looked down on everyone else, Jesus told them this parable. Two men went up to the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself and prayed, God, I thank you that I am not like other people, robbers, evildoers, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week, and I give a tenth of all I get. But the tax collector stood at a distance. He would not even look up to heaven, but beat his breast and said, God, have mercy on me, a sinner. And I tell you that this man, rather than the other, went home justified before God. 
For all who would exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. I believe that we are to come before God confidently, boldly in prayer. But you cannot come before God confidently if you haven't at first come before Him confessingly. Now, I don't even know if that's a word, but it just fits really well. You cannot come before God confidently unless you first come before Him confessingly. You cannot come before God um, with request if you're not humble in your approach. We have to be serious about the sin in our lives. See, this parable tells us that God hears the prayers of the humble and the contrite. We didn't let our daughter date until she was 16. I think it's a very good policy. Wait at least until they're 16. Some of you might say 18, but I'll say 16. They could, she could not go alone with another boy until she was 16. Now, that was a little frustrating for her at times, but we know boys and we know hormones. And it's a dangerous mix, pretty girl with a boy like that. And so... Well, if they're 16 and wanted to date our daughter, they came and filled out an application, did a background check, showed us a work stub <laughs> from their job. You think I'm joking. I am, but we're very serious about the kind of guy that's dating our daughter. Now, can you imagine if some guy um, knows that we're, we're Christians, we have high values, and he takes our daughter out, he shows up at 2 in the morning, way past curfew, her hair's all messed up, her blouse a little bit unbuttoned, and she says, hey, Mr. Rondi, says, I uh, had a great time with your daughter. I, I gotta, I'm running home, but I'm, I'm almost out of gas. Can I get 10 bucks from you? How eager am I to bless this kid after how he's treated my daughter? I will not give him a dime until he says, son, let's sit down first. We have a conversation about what went on tonight. Now I want to know your heart in this matter because I'm not giving you anything if I don't trust your heart. And I think when we come before God and, and God sees how we treated his children, might be a boy or a girl, might be a sexual issue, might be a relational issue, and God says, you've treated my son like that or my daughter like that and you expect to get a favor from me? No way. You need to sit down right now and reason with me about what went on in your life. God wants us to deal with the sin in our lives. And I, I have a feeling that many of us over the course of time have little sins in our lives that we just kind of protect. We hold dear. Like, I don't want to let go of this one. This one's kind of comfortable. And this one I kind of stroke because I like to just, just, just look into it now and then. You know, go to that website or, or try this little habit. One, just once in a while. Not all the time. I'm not addicted to it. I just kind of like it. And we, we nurture it. And David, in Psalm 66, warns us of that kind of approach to prayer. He, he says in Psalm 66, um, Starting with verse 17, I cried out to him with my mouth. His praise was on my tongue. If I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened. Get that. If I had cherished sin in my heart, would my prayer have made any difference? Absolutely not. The Lord would not have listened, but God has surely listened and heard my prayer. Are you cherishing sin in your heart? It's so easy to justify the sin and not deal with it, not be humble and contrite about it, uh, this summer Olympics have been incredible. Great athletes, old athletes, young athletes, records set. I mean, it's been historic. And yet, and yet the dominating conversation over the last week has been what? Four swimmers who are out past curfew, who vandalized up the bathroom, who, who, who urinated on the wall of that bathroom, and then, then we're told they need to pay for the damages. Then, then they went public and said they were robbed at gunpoint. And it took the video footage of all the different places they went to that night, pieced together to say, there is no place here that shows you've been violated. For, it, it took all week before those swimmers finally said, okay, we lied. We made it up. 
We caused disgrace to the country because we blamed your police for something that was our fault. And what's so sad is that happens so much that, that people are not willing to admit their, their sins until, until the, it's so obvious to everyone else. I mean, how many times have we heard an athlete say, I'm not taking performance-enhancing drugs. No way, I wouldn't do that. Then the tests come back, and yes, you did. Or politicians who said, I haven't had sex with that woman. <laughs> yes, you did. I mean, why is it so hard for us to be humble and contrite about our sins? I, I think I know the reason why. It's this thing called pride. It is hard to admit you have failed. You have done something you shouldn't have done. And we cannot ask God for anything until we first deal with this stuff within us. A couple weeks ago, Pastor Sam was uh, telling the story of Nehemiah and how Nehemiah was burdened for his people. His people had rebelled against God. God allowed foreign armies to come in, destroy Jerusalem. And so now Nehemiah feels burdened to go back and rebuild the city. Now, Nehemiah is about to go before the king to make a bold request. But he recognizes that you can't start with your request. So he begins just praising God in his prayer, this great and awesome God. And he moves from the, the greatness of God to the awfulness of himself and his people. He says, I confess the sins we Israelites, including myself and my father's family, have committed against you. We have acted very wickedly toward you. We have not obeyed the commands, decrees, and laws you gave your servant Moses. He's not willing to point out the other people and all their sins as much as, as Nehemiah saying, I'm part of the problem. And it wasn't I just made a little mistake. I acted wickedly because I know what your commands are. I knew what your laws were, and I rejected them. I heard the voice of your prophets, and I didn't listen. See, it's so easy for us to point out the sins in the world and all those people and, and all that that's going on over there and the abortion clinics over there and the gay pride festivals over there and you know, all these things out there and the, and the CEOs uh, raping people of, of millions of dollars and all these things out there. You know, those, those are evil people. And I think God is saying, I know their sin, but you guys claim to know me. You guys say you follow my word. I'm more concerned about you. So as you're pointing the finger out there, look at the other three fingers where they're pointing, right back at you. That's where the problem is. You've acted wickedly. That's why Jesus said in the Lord's Prayer, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. Sin imposes a debt. We owe God our very lives. We owe God, really, our literal lives, which means we die. And God says, I will pay the debt, but never forget that I paid a price for that. It caused us to come before him very humbly. See, God doesn't require perfection, but he does require honesty and change. In the parable Jesus told, here's an interesting contrast. If you look at the two men, the Pharisee and the tax collector, you would say the Pharisee was a good man. I mean, he, he looked good. He fasted. He prayed. He didn't do all the horrible things tax collectors did, but he's the good guy. But it was the tax collector whose prayer was heard. And here's something that you need to know that's just so important in our prayer life. God values honesty more than goodness. Because we think we're good when in reality we're not as good as we, we really are. God knows better. He wants us to, to be honest and then good. But it starts with honesty. You know, when, when people come visit a church, I don't, I don't think people are drawn to a church that's filled with good people. 
Because what it does is tell them that, that uh, they're better than you. You come into church that's full of good people, they're better than me, I can never be like them. I'm going to go find a church that's got a lot of failing people because that's where I fit in. If you go to a church full of honest people, well, that's where I want to go. I want to be part of a church where people say, you know what, I don't, I'm not a good dad sometimes. I'm not a good husband sometimes. I lose my temper sometimes. I don't, I don't manage my money well sometimes. You know, I struggle with these things, but God is changing me, and God is cleansing me. I'd rather be part of an honest group of people than a group of phonies who think they're better than they really are. And we are masters of deception. If people say, um, when you come to church, how you doing? What's the standard response? Fine, great. All, the, all these positive words. I, I never hear someone say, you know what? I've got, I've got bitterness that's been stirring inside of me all week long, and it's, it's killing me. We don't say that. We don't say, you know what? I, I, I lost my temper this week. I'm, I'm such an angry man. We don't talk about that. You know, I was, on, I was on a website last night that's pornographic. That's what I was doing. That's how I'm doing. How about you? We don't talk like that. We just say, like, I'm fine. I'm good. And all that stuff churns within and it starts to clog the pipes of our prayer life. John tells us in his letter, 1 John, what we need to do. He says, If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus' his Son purifies us from all sin. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. So this whole picture of walking in the light, what does that mean? Well, I'm, I'm in the presence of bright lights up on stage. And picture that. When God says, come, come where I am, I'm, I'm light, God is light, come into my presence where there's light, what's going to happen? Everything will be exposed. When you come into light, everything gets exposed. There's nothing to hide. He says, come in here. Come in here. Everything gets seen. I already know it. I see everything. I want you to see it with me. Because when you see it with me, now we can deal with it. I want you then to confess it, admit to it. That's what confession is. It's saying, God, I, I admit to what I, I did, and I admit that it was wrong. And that's why it's so important that we confess our sins, not just this blanket, I confess I'm a sinner. I confess specific sins to own up to what I did and say, God, that, that thing I did over here, that was wrong. I agree, that was wrong. I shouldn't, have, I shouldn't be doing that. Or this thought over here, that, was, that really was wrong. That was sin. And he says, here's what happens when you do that. The blood of Jesus cleanses us from all sin. Now, here's the dilemma we have as Christians. I thought Jesus died for all my sin on the cross. So why do I have to keep, like, bringing this up to him? Because, here's what I think God's trying to tell us. Because you take it back and cherish it. You're saying, I, I want you to take all my sin but that one or this one. And I've got all these little sins in here that I'll hold on to. And so when your prayers go up to God, God can't even hear your words because you're cherishing sin in your heart. He says, come on, just constantly change the filter. Get it cleaned out. I have plenty of forgiveness for you, but you have to release it to me. And when you hold on to it, you only fool yourself. So God wants us to be honest about our sins. And I think we're afraid sometimes of walking in the light because we say, I don't want to see what God sees. I'm afraid of that. It's kind of like me with medical tests. Like, I don't want to have all these tests done because what if they find a polyp somewhere? What if they find that my, my um, levels are, are over? And I don't want to get on some medication. I don't want to have to take some treatment. I don't want a surgery or procedure done. So I'm going to ignore it because if I ignore it, it's not there, right? 
If I ignore it and don't see the medical report, it's not there. I don't have high blood pressure. I'm not reading it on a paper. But that's how foolish it is. So it's, it's foolish for us to say, oh, I'm really not dealing with sin in my life because it's, 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 I, don't, I don't think about it. And God says, come on, come into the light. Let's take a good look. I want you to see what I see. And I think one of the other problems we have that goes even beyond pride is if you've been a Christian for a long time, if you're a church leader, you know better. And so when you admit to sin, it's like saying, I, I, I'm not a good leader. I'm not a good mom or dad. I'm not a good Christian because I'm still struggling with sin. And that's how we fool ourselves. John was saying, you will always deal with sin in your life. You always will fight this battle. But you ought to get better at confessing it. And I really believe that when our kids look up to us as parents, they want to see honesty. They want to see authenticity. They want to see, because they see all the flaws anyway, they want to see us repentant before the Lord. They want to see us broken before the Lord. There are times I've had to go to my kids and say, you know what? Daddy lost his temper. It's not good. That's not how God wants me to act. And I am so sorry for what I've done. See, I think kids are, are, are more drawn to the honesty of our faith than us trying to portray the fact that I'm, I'm better than that. I don't, I don't do those things. Because they see it. They see how we're acting. And that's why tax collectors and prostitutes were drawn to Jesus. Because they knew it was safe to bring their junk into his presence and deal with it. But even beyond honesty, there's something else the Lord desires, and that is change. In 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, it says... If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, I will forgive their sin and heal their land. He's saying, people, my people, you who are called by the name of the Lord, humble yourself, come and pray and seek my face and turn from those things in your life that are sin. Turn from them. And here's what I'll do. I'll heal your land. I'll, I'll heal your body. I'll answer your prayers. I want to do more than you want to do for yourself. So here's what I encourage you to do. And this is, a, this is a process that if you do this, you'll find things coming to the surface that were buried. To keep the lines of prayer clear, take inventory of your life regularly. Our culture has, has insensitive insensitized us to sin. When you look at TV programs from the 1950s, 60s, even 70s compared to today, and you put them side by side, you would be shocked at how overt we are with language, with, with sexuality, with all kinds of things that are right in people's faces. And you know what's happening? And I see it with myself. I get used to it. I get used to seeing people shot. Doesn't bother me. I, I, I get used to seeing people who are hurting. Doesn't affect me anymore. I, I, I get numb to the sin and the hurt and the pain and injustice around me. It becomes almost like it's everywhere and it's acceptable. And our culture is accepting so many sinful behaviors. And we as believers, if you, if you don't remain sensitive to it, here's what the Bible says happens. Romans chapter 1. When you reject the truth about God, God gives you over to your own desires. And pretty soon it doesn't even feel wrong anymore because God's taken his hands off of you. And so it, it takes a sincere desire to say, Holy Spirit, speak to me. I love what David says in Psalm 139. Search me, and, and search me, God, and know my heart. Test me and know my anxious thoughts. See if there is any offensive way in me. Lead me in the way everlasting. God, is there anything offensive? Anything in me that bothers you? 
point it out because I don't want it there anymore. Do you pray that ever? That's what God's asking us to do. In fact, Jesus said, this is, this is where I, I really struggle with, with the obviousness of sin in my life. When he says, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do what I say? Oh, I, I remember you did say that, and I'm not doing it. Well, that's, that's a sin. Why, why are you even calling me Lord when you don't want to do the things that I'm asking you to do or commanding you to do? And so I've, I've made a list, and I went through in prayer time recently in my own life and began to look through a lot of things that it's so easy to get compromised in. I mean, there are obvious sins, but let me run through some of them, and I'll comment on some of the struggles I've had. I'll just start with the first one, lack of love for God's Word. You know what? I had to confess to the Lord, God, I, I'm not as lo- in love with your Word as much now as I used to be. I don't hunger for it the first thing when I get up. I get up, and I'm tired. I want to check my email. I want to do other things. God, forgive me. I don't want it to be that way, but I admit I, I'm failing you in this. I'm not the man that I should be. I'm not the Christian leader I should be. I need to be more devoted to your word and in love with your word. Laziness and lack of discipline. There are so many times of areas in my life regarding family, regarding physical health, regarding spiritual disciplines that I find myself saying, I'm just too tired. I just want to sit here and hold the remote for a while. And you know what? Honestly, a lot of that's just laziness. If I get my butt off the couch... Go get a shower to wake me up. I'd get moving and doing something. Partial surrender. Lack of holiness. Unfaithfulness to the marriage vows. For better, for worse. I said that at the altar. I love her. I love him. For better, for worse. Am I doing that? Neglect of children. I'm too busy to invest in my kids. Failure to pray. Do you know there's, it's a sin not to pray? Samuel talks about that. May I not sin against the Lord by failing to pray for you? Someone says, would you pray for me? Sure will. But you don't. That's a sin. Pride and arrogance, unwillingness to use God's gifts. I don't want to serve. I know God gave me the gift to do that. I just don't want to do it. Irresponsible stewardship. Lack of compassion for the hurting. How many times have I seen a beggar said, oh, there's another one of those guys? Instead of, instead of just saying, God, they're probably broken. They're struggling. I wonder what it's like to live in their shoes. I wonder what it's like to sleep under a bridge. God, break my heart over the things that break your heart. Lust and sexual immorality, greed and worldliness, slander, gossip. We don't slander. We just vent. We share our concerns about other people. Lying and deception, selfishness, independence, unbelief and disobedience, fear and worry. I have to confess there are times when fear overpowers me. Lord, I don't want to do this. I'm afraid to do that. I'm afraid of, of stepping out in faith in that area. I'm afraid of the confrontation. I'm, I'm afraid of, of, of being embarrassed. God, why am I, why am I driven and, and engulfed in fear that's not from you? That's a sin. He says, step forward in faith, not fear. Complaining and grumbling. That's a sin. God, God actually destroyed people in the Old Testament for grumbling. Neglect of your parents, grandparents, ingratitude. Bitterness and unforgiveness. How many of us have things that happened years ago and they still come to the surface? We haven't moved past them. Setting a bad example to our kids, to our neighbors. Robbing God. Nobody would say, like, I'm out there robbing God intentionally. But he says in Scripture, if you're holding back the tithe, the first 10% of what God has given you, he says, you're robbing me. So you're robbing me and then coming to ask me to bless you? What's the deal? Not sharing the gospel. Envy and jealousy. Anger. 
and harshness, dishonoring your parents and leaders. You know, we're in an election year, and, and I'm just amazed. Even the Christian culture has got sucked into this. We, we make a common practice to bash leaders, presidents, public officials, church leaders, parents. We find it very comfortable to do that, very acceptable to do that. You look on Facebook, you see a lot of that happening. Yet Scripture tells us very clearly, honor your leaders. Well, well, they're not worthy of it. He never tells us that they're worthy of it. When, when Peter told the believers, respect the king, that the person who reigned in power was anti-Christian, he was actually killing Christians. And yet Peter said, you honor that guy. God allowed him to be in that position. Don't adopt his attitude. You, you honor that person. You didn't choose your parents. Honor them. You didn't choose your church leaders necessarily. You didn't choose that past. You honor them. When God puts someone in an office, elder, community leader, president, once that decision is made, he says, you've had your input. Maybe you didn't agree. Maybe you voted against them. But now they are in. You honor them. How many of us have fallen prey to joining the banter of dishonoring leaders? That's a sin. And then we come to God, but God, I'm sitting over here, but would you hear my prayers? Hypocrisy. I don't do any of these, really. I'm, I'm not like those, honestly, really. You need to come to the altar on a regular basis. Come. And here's why it's so beautiful to come, because there is forgiveness and grace.